0: Welcome, everyone, back to episode 22 of Junior Resource Investing. I'm your host, Matthew. Disclaimer here before I get into it. As always, this is not financial advice. Neither myself nor my guests are financial advisors. We're not your financial advisor. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. For full disclosure, please check the YouTube notes below. Regardless, though, I am pleased to welcome our latest guest, Brendan Yurk, onto the show. Brendan is the President and CEO of Electric Royalties. Electric Royalties is a royalty company established to take advantage of the demand for a wide range of commodities that will benefit from the drive toward green energy and electrification. They have a growing portfolio of 21 royalties, including two royalties that currently generate revenue. The company is focused predominantly on acquiring royalties on advanced stage and operating projects to build a diversified portfolio located in jurisdictions with low geopolitical risk. It trades under the ticker ELEC on the Venture Exchange and ELECF on the OTC in the States. Brendan, thank you for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm
1: doing great,
0: Matthew. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, perfect. So this is going to be a little bit different than my typical setup. Obviously, you know, you can probably imagine that. Usually I get explorers and developers kind of coming through here as a royalty company, it's going to be a bit of a different conversation, but you know, maybe we'll start out the same way as always. So why don't you just, you know, I'll give you the moment here, just pitch electric to my audience and then maybe, you know, focus on why investing in a royalty company has benefits versus traditional explorers and developers.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, that's definitely a big part of uh, what we you know wanted to do um, when we decided to found this company. Uh, royalty company. So we're electric royalties. Uh, like Matthew said, we've got 21 royalties. Two are currently producing. Uh, we actually are expecting a third royalty to enter production here uh, very short term. Um, it'll be the largest lithium uh, mine in Canada next year. Uh, so that'll be very exciting. That's a big one for us. Um, but royalties are really look diversification. You know, you spread out. We already we have 21 assets. Uh, mining is a risky game. You know, you never know uh, with 100% certainty if any mining asset's going to work out. So diversification is very key. Um, so we're already diversified across 21 different assets. Uh, the other nice thing is, you know, these are rights to cash flow, right? So, um, you know, right away we have no costs. There's no development costs, capital costs, cost overruns, anything like that. Um, you know, very highly capital intensive process if you're a developer going through that. Um, so we're not diluting during that process. Um, and uh, essentially, when they are in production, you know, we just get a percentage of cash flow, and usually it comes straight off the top line. Uh, which means our unit operating costs are zero, right? So, um, you know, if copper's three fifty, it means we're going to make a little bit more than if it's at three dollars. Uh, but we're not necessarily, you know, going to be uh, in trouble in terms of our G&A because uh, that's very flat and low. Um, our G&A, speaking of G&A, you know, if you were to build a very small mine, um, I worked at a very small gold mine in Arizona, uh, very small, fifty thousand ounce heap leach. You know, they had to hire about seventy-five full-time people to build out that mine. Um, so then you're taking on a massive amount of GNA uh, and I can't remember exactly what the number is, but ours is about a million and a half uh, a year and we could get that down you know even further if we wanted. I'd say about a third of that is marketing and a third of that is actually active deal costs of, of continually doing deals. Um, and royalty companies so you know typically trade at better multiples because of that uh, lower risk profile because um, you have diversification. Um, and like I said you know we're not being diver- uh, diluted uh, as companies are moving these projects ahead. We've had over 400 million, close to 500 million, uh, come in and be put into the ground. Our projects, really going into our projects over the last two years, um, and so that's all you know, money that we wouldn't, we didn't have to raise, we didn't have to put that in. It would have been about uh, you know, 500 plus percent dilution um, mm-hmm. if we had to. Um, and so we also have no holding costs, right? So it costs us really nothing after we acquire that royalty. It's there. It's an asset on our books. Um, you know, most of the royalties that we have actually stick to the land as well. So um, you know, even if the operator was to go bankrupt or, you know, loses the project for whatever reason, um, because we're targeting good jurisdictions, they've got pretty good mining codes. And so we can actually tie that to the project, um, you know, rather than to the company. Uh, so it's, it's really a, a much safer, longer term way. Um, you know, royalties pay out typically over the long term. You know, some of our royalties in our portfolio, uh, Battery Hill is a great example. Um, you know, it's got a 40 plus year mine life. We're expecting that's going to pay us anywhere from U.S. three and a half to five million a year. Um, And so that's like, that's a lot of cash flow over time. And, uh, you know, continually, as you have more royalties coming into production, all at no cost to you once you acquired them, um, you know, you can get up to a significant amount of cash flow and your GNA stays very low. So um, it's a much safer way. You know, the way I I put it is we're one way for investors to get exposure and play the entire clean energy metal space. Um, And I think that's really good for, you know, investors who don't really know, um, you know, how to, how to tell a good lithium project or don't even know which clean energy metals, you know, they should really get into, uh, which ones have been overbought, oversold, um, et cetera. But also, you know, especially when you're picking a company, um, you know, picking a, a, a developer or an explorer, they're typically one asset companies. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lot different risk profile, um, from what we're doing. But, uh, part of that is like, I'm all in, I'm invested about 95% and you know, my family's a very big investor in the company. Um, And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that we uh, as much as possible could could conserve and, and, you know, build that wealth in a, a stable way.
0: Yeah, and that's—I mean—that last part you make is is valid, right? That it's always nice to see when when insiders and family have money, and obviously that means that you're kind of tied to the hip of investors as well. So that's always nice to see. I yeah. mean, what the, the things you're saying—it touches on everything that I understand too, right? I mean, that you you still capture upside, but without all the, the trials and tribulations and ridiculous risk that comes comes with you know living and dying by assays as 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 discovery plays do, right? That yeah. you cut all that out, but you still have access to the upside. I think it was Rick Rule who said that you know if you you can take Away half of my upside, and if you get rid of all my downside, I'll take that trade every single time. And that's always what's kind of comes to mind with royalty plays for me, right? So,
1: well, and we still get the same uh, pricing upside, right? If prices go up, our revenues are directly proportional to that. So, you know, lithium prices have gone up, I think, about 10 times <laughs> since yeah. we bought our first one. And so our expected revenues go up about 10 times. So, uh, we still get the pricing upside. We still have expiration upside, right? If they're successful at the project, uh, that's going to mean we're getting paid for even more years to come. Um, but yeah, definitely have a reduced risk profile, different type of investment um, than your typical kind of mining investment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, different different skill sets and knowledges, which we'll touch on here. And maybe that's a decent transition. These are going to be fairly simple acronyms. I'm going to assume that, you know, a lot of people listening here, you know, NSRs and GSRs and GRRs, but maybe do you just mind, just for the sake of this conversation, I'll bring up an, an image or a visual to help people with people as too. can you just dissect the difference between those three? Because if someone goes onto your slide deck, they'll be seeing that that's how your evaluation is, that's the fundamentals of your evaluation. And then maybe, so yeah, break break us down, GRR, GSR, NSR. Are and then maybe from your perspective, what's your preferred route? If that's yeah, all right,
1: sure. So, uh, GRR is gross revenue royalty, that means you know, whatever their revenues are, uh, straight off the top, so the top line number, it's a percentage based off that. So, if we have 1% and they have 300 million revenues, it's 1% times 300 million, that's how much they owe us. Um, a, a NSR, which probably be the second most common one out there. Mm. Um, you know that that's something that I think is actually going to be changing a little bit when you talk about the clean energy metal space. Um, it's a little bit archaic, you know, because sometimes these mines are producing products; they're not sending it to a smelter, and that's really what that was for. Mm-hmm. Smelters, when you send it to them, you got to pay for the transportation costs to get there. You know, they usually ding you out a little bit uh, in terms of what the payability is for each of the metals, um, and there's a treatment charge. So, a uh, net smelter revenue royalty would basically be. Your top line revenue, you deduct the transportation, the treatment charges, whatever the smelter dings you, and then it's off of that revenue line. Um, You know, all the other ones are pretty much, uh, you know, some kind of iteration of that. Gross metal royalty is basically gross revenue royalty. Uh, GSR, I don't know exactly what that, that could be gross sales royalty, uh, which would (laughs) be the exact same thing. Uh, But typically there's, you know, for a a net smelter, there'd be some deductions uh, because you're sending that product to go get, you know, um, smelted. (laughs) at a third party um but uh we always do gross revenue royalties pretty much um all the new royalties we've created have been gross revenue royalties if you look at our portfolio the vast majority of them are gross revenue royalties um i love that because it just makes it way easier you know to forecast there's less uh chance for groups to kind of haggle with you over how much Mm -hmm. they owe um you know it's pretty obvious you know at that point right um and it's just it's much cleaner um so we typically uh like to do gross revenue royalties um, and because we're, you know, going out there, one of the few groups, actually, uh, on the royalty side and the junior side, uh, goes up, creates actually new royalties. You know, we're, we're going directly to companies, negotiating with them, offering them money at a certain point in time. And so we have a little bit of power to uh, say, hey, we, we want to make this a gross revenue royalty. Um, you know, typically the difference between uh, the revenues would be about 10 15% uh, between a GRR and an NSR. Um, the one that you really want to watch out for is net profit interest. If you ever see that, it's not a royalty. <laughs> you know, if they're not profitable, you're not getting paid. Um, so net profit interest, that, that's the one you do want to watch out for because uh, they can be a little bit hairy. Yeah,
0: Thank you for that. And, yeah. you know, this is actually a decent transition. You talk about you know, how you actually go out and acquire these royalties. Do you mind? I want to talk through your selection process a bit here. Maybe why don't we just start there, right? I mean, can you, yeah, just discuss, do you seek out projects? I mean, is there some sort of, you know, like a a Tinder for projects that are seeking royalty companies themselves, right? I mean, and then maybe from there, just discuss, like, how much wiggle room is there in negotiations, if you don't mind. But, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, So I'll start with, I guess,
1: the first one. I mean, typically we pick the project. Uh, That's the way I like to do it. Um, you know, we know the projects that are out there. That's what we kind of first did when we started out a couple years ago is, you know, you look at the average development timeline in mining, you know, and it's 15 plus years, uh, typically, you know, they might get it done in seven or eight in lithium. That's what they're thinking. We'll see how that kind of works out, but it's a long time, time frame, Right. And so really from our perspective, we're, we're looking for those projects we think can actually make it into production and be that next wave of supply that you'll need, you know, over the next kind of three to 10 years. Um, and so when you look at that, uh, the, the pipeline of projects is very thin, um, funnily so, like where you can go down certain commodities. We target all nine clean energy metals. If you look at some of them, like manganese, we have really the best and only district in North America being developed. Um, you know, we have our producing world, here, our lithium world. That's going to be on the only producing lithium mine in Canada. So there's not a lot of these advanced projects or projects, um, you know, near production. Uh, so we're, we're picking off the best ones, you know, the most advanced ones. Um, and some of these might be, you know, four or five years out from production, but we know uh, there's nothing sooner than that, you know. <laughs> so um, so it gives us a little bit more certainty and, and really knowing that we're going to need these metals. I think when you look at this space, uh, it's different than the gold space. I think the growth profile here over the next, you know, 10, 20 years um, is going to be incredible. Um, this is a sector that basically didn't exist, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and 20 years from now will be, you know, as large as oil and gas, right, which is uh, which is kind of crazy to think about but that's mm-hmm. that's an incredible growth profile um and it's very no wiggle room in negotiations everyone is different uh you know typically I'm the guy that has no wiggle room I say this is what I can give you <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> you know I, I hope that that works because uh, I, I think you could use it you know I think that's a helpful amount uh, but typically it's it's you know this how so much I got to get something done so
0: uh, are we gonna do it or not yeah fair enough eh? <laughs> okay good uh so maybe that's that's another decent transition then. So, I mean, you kind of referenced it. You know, you are yourself a smaller royalty company. You're not wheat and precious metals by any stretch, right? And nor, nor do you need to be to be successful, obviously. And you're also targeting smaller companies themselves, right? So I guess, you know, I'm going to guess that you can't just have your pick of the litter in terms of you can't walk out there and you're not going to get a royalty on Great Bear or something, right? But, I mean, do you mind just discussing, like, what's your selection criteria then, right? Size of project or grade? Obviously, jurisdiction is a big one for you. How much does management factor in? Yeah,
1: well, certain projects management definitely factors in quite a bit, I would say, um, if they're planning to produce uh, as that team, that's, that's probably the number one most important thing would be the management team and the operations team that can actually make mm-hmm. mine work. And that was the mm-hmm. case at our most recent deal we closed, um, Panuda. you know, fantastic operations team, they've done it before, you know, so that it is very important. Um, you know, typically, we, like I said, we focus on the projects. Um, there are certain projects we'd like to get in, it just isn't feasible. I think, uh, you know, primarily we try and be value creative, right? So we're looking for ways we can get in and, uh, buy good royalty on a great project, but buy cheaply, <laughs> you know, as were. that, so that, uh, is really kind of staying outside of a couple areas. One would be, um, you know, 12 months of production on a big deal, right? So, uh, if they're that advanced and it is a big project, you have all the big private equity groups playing. And uh, you know those guys can write a twenty-five million-dollar check. We haven't even invested twenty-five million dollars for all of our royalties, right? So, you know, we're not going to do that all in one royalty. But mm-hmm. kill the whole diversification. Um, but they can do that. So you can't compete with them in that that space if they have a feasibility, twelve-month production, big project, um, and producing stuff outside of small producers. You know, we can we can participate in small producers where we'll, we'll do a check size under five million. Um, and private equity groups, the big guys, they won't do that. So that's kind of an under, you know, underutilized niche. Um, and then on the development side, uh, really anything 12 months outside of production, uh, there's almost no alternative financing available. Mm. Um, and so that's that's kind of another area that we play. I like to get in 12 to three years out is really the best, you know, where they have economics out already. You can pretty mm. much tell what the project's gonna look like. Um, you know, and a lot of the time, really it's, it's infill drilling, which is really tough capital to raise. So companies get stuck there. Um, but you know, you, you can look at the drilling yourself and kind of make a uh, determination. It's really about getting it up to the standard you need, right? For an NI 43, one, And sometimes that can be 10, 15 million bucks. It's really hard money to raise. And so companies get stuck in that kind of, uh, area and, and you can kind of go in, provide some capital, help, give them a boost. Um, uh, but really, yeah, in that area, I mean, and you don't have much competition there. We're getting in much, much cheaper and, you know, over the course of 12 months, two years, yeah, you know, the value of that
0: royalty can just skyrocket in value. Hmm. It's funny. That's one of my favorite moments to to invest in a company as well as that that orphan period, right, where the resource is known and the, all the exploration risk is gone, right? That's off the table. Now it's just a matter of actually transitioning into a producing mine, which again it becomes a much more predictable. Well, there are different sets of challenges, obviously, than pure ex- exploration, but more predictable than in a pre-discovery drill. Yeah, literally yeah. praying with the drills, right? So fair enough. More so. Data. Better, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Right. Exactly. As an investor, you want knowledge and data, right? So i um, going to keep grinding on this selection criteria just because I find this really curious. I guess I'll, maybe I'll ask you about, are you sector agnostic, right? I mean, on a right deal, would you pursue like, I don't know, precious metals or potash or something for the right project? Or are you pretty fully thematic with, with battery metals and electrification?
1: yeah we're, we're fully thematic uh right now and, and you know uh part of that's just really it's nine different metals you know most of the royalty groups target one or two <laughs> you know, silver mm-hmm. gold really yeah. i mean they all do copper and, and they'll kind of cheat on me mm-hmm. a little bit as well um but uh yeah i think we're, we're sector like we're stuck you know on this sector i think there's so much opportunity here you know there's a couple more metals we could add uh quite frankly outside of our nine that we already do so we would probably look to add those before we'd uh, you know do anything else and and I see so much opportunity here that um, uh, I think we got enough to keep ourselves busy for now.
0: <laughs> and I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the the forward-looking, the compound annual growth rate for this sector for zero five ten years is ridiculous. So I mean, you're you're, you're absolutely in the right corner of the market. Right? Maybe one more here, then we can move on. Uh, it's just. So, you know, you have 21 or so projects, you know, I, I think the plurality of them are lithium. Um, but do you, so do you have like a, is there a specific ratio between these metals that you have? And I think I asked you this question when we chatted with, with Six a couple of weeks back, but is there a specific ratio you're going for between these different metals and minerals? Or are you just picking the best product available to get your hands on?
1: Yeah, so I'd say it's a bit of a combination of the two. I mean, if you look at our portfolio now, we've almost got two assets for each of our nine commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have been, you know, quietly kind of filling that out to make sure that we are still diversified. We have exposure to all of them. Um, you know, we're a bit heavy lithium. Uh, that was really just opportunistic. You know, we had mm-hmm. a few deals come our way. Um, and this is pre-lithium prices, you know, jumping off and as it was happening. Um, and so it was like, oh, God, we got to do this, <laughs> you know, uh so, uh, we can't pass this up. So sometimes it's, just, it's opportunistically we see a deal, or an opportunity, and we just say, hey, yeah, we, we definitely want this. Um, but, you know, traditionally it's, it's us kind of going out there and, and um, you know, picking up the projects and, and trying to do it in an order where we do stay diversified. Um, you know, I think we do make a little bit of a bet in terms of I really like tin. Um, you know, I really like copper. I, I like nickel as well. Uh, lithium, obviously, we've done uh, quite well in um, so there's some metals that we'll, we'll be a little bit higher on um, and then less so in others. But, uh, you know, generally we do want to be, you know, diversified across all clean energy metals. Um, you know, that way we're not really making a bet in terms of where battery chemistries go, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which technologies may come. And, and I think all the commodities you have risk, you know, even lithium. I'd say lithium's biggest risk is future supply. Um, but that's probably, you know, a couple years away still. Uh, I know everybody talks about it coming on right away. Um, it's very hard to you know to do put a mine in production. Mm-hmm. Um, always overestimated, so uh, we'll, we'll hmm. see how that goes. But that's, that's generally how we uh, plan to take it.
0: No, good enough. So I'm going to ask you now. We kind of talked about the the benefits of royalty codes versus versus explore codes, and, and, and I think there's a, just an objective value for a royalty company that the explore codes. Just don't necessarily have that, but maybe on the flip side of that, you know, what are some added layers of complexity? You know, for me, as someone, who I like explore codes and I like discovery plays and development plays because I enjoy the geology of it and you know calculating dollars per ton and stuff. It's obviously a different game. It is and it isn't, but it's a different game for royalty codes. What are some complexities or valuation complexities that investors should be aware of when researching royalty codes to invest in?
1: Yeah, well, the biggest one, and it's the biggest hurdle to getting analyst coverage, quite frankly, is that we have 21 assets, right? So, Hmm. um, you know, traditionally, mining company, Duke Developer Junior, was going to have one asset. So I can go look at a company. If they've got one asset, it's pretty easy to kind of wrap your head around. Um, You know, whereas a a company, we've got 21 assets. So if you really want to get a full kind of grasp of, you know, the value that we have in our portfolio, you'd have to go look at 21 different assets. And that's really, I think, um, you know, probably the biggest hurdle for people to overcome. That's why analysts hate covering us. They can cover 20 companies, you know, versus uh, one royalty company. And, and that only gets tougher as, as we keep adding more. So, um, you know, it's a lot to keep up with. We we had like 70 updates last year. So there's a lot of, you know, news and, and progress we made all the time that you have to keep apprised of. but. I don't look at that as a bad thing in any shape or form, you know. I mean, if you've got a, a company that's just turning out news for free all the time and good stuff keeps happening, mm. um, you know, I think uh, th- I think that's great. <laughs> but uh, but that, that is more difficult to, for people to, you know, assess the value. At the end of the day, it's really simple if anyone ever wants to do it. It does take a little bit of time because you do have so many assets. Mm. Um, but, you know, the revenue that we expect is really our gross revenue royalty rate. So if it's 1%. It's 1%. Uh, times that by the expected annual production. So that'll be listed in any PEA, PFS, etc. Um, And times that by the metal price. You pick it, you know, whatever metal price you think uh, or feel comfortable with. But that, that gives you the annual royalty revenue we expect from that royalty. You know, you do that for each of our royalties. I think we, we have economics on quite a few of them now. Um, and then you you can kind of see, you know, where you have three and a half to five million a year from one for 40 years. And mm-hmm. uh, so the cash flows can really start to add up uh, over time. And I think... You know, over the next five years, each year we kind of have a couple of projects that we think um, have a good shot to enter production on their own.
0: Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It becomes a free cash flow kind of story. I guess maybe as a follow-up question, I mean, is there is there a valuation that 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 you, that you would kind of stick to as a benchmark? I mean, valuation multiple. You know, is it like free cash flow or price or earnings or NAV or what? What's something that people maybe you know, if you in this yeah. sector, what, what do people look at? Yeah,
1: well, so I think uh, there's two ways, really, for for royalty companies to be valued. One would be based off of uh, cash flow. And, uh, you know, that's a little bit tougher for junior royalty companies. um, But typically, Mm -hmm. you have trade around 10 times. Um, Really, I think for junior royalty companies, PNAV would be the the best uh, example. Um, Now, that's really a lot tougher for some groups to figure out. I I feel like, you know, I'm always a little bit hamstrung in terms of, um, you know, what I can say. I I can't necessarily share what I have, you know, our personal kind of calculations. But... Um, when I look at, uh, when that, it's typically, you see about one times nap. Um, now I say that that's the average multiples, you know, I have some Scotia bank, uh, you know, royalty report, they do all the companies and that's the average. When I look at us, we're not trading anywhere close to that. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, it is, it's, it is what it is. Right. But, uh, um, but PNAP would be the way that I would, I would say, you know, is, is proper for, for royalty companies at this stage. Um, but as we, you know, continue to grow five years from now, you know, cash will be, a, a definitely a better one.
0: Mm, no, thank you. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of conversations important for people to recognize that obviously different sectors require different multiples and, and different metrics. Right. So no, thank well, you for that. Yeah, so why don't
1: it takes into account the time value of money, right? So it discounts, you know, money next year, it's discounted at say 7%, money the year, mm-hmm. after seven, you know, times 7% up Um, it, it, it is discounted over time. So if you have a, an asset with paying out 40 years, Uh, You know, you're three and a half million four four years from now, you're not getting value in three and a half million in that that, uh, net asset value. Um, But it it is, yeah, it's a great way to to look at it, Um, especially when you have a a number of projects like we have that, you know, maybe are three or four years up from production, but they have, you know, 30, 40 year mine lives uh, and significant cash flows coming back, you know, 200 million over time. So um, those should definitely be included in any, you know, valuation um, because if you're missing out, (laughs) you'll just miss out, Uh, quite frankly, you know, the growth will happen. Um, you know, as you keep it for
0: it. And that's where your growth can get exciting with that inflection point, where once you start bringing these revenue streams online and providing you with free cash flow with which to grow your business, obviously that becomes a pretty exciting proposition starting to to target larger projects, right? And it gives you more more muscle in the negotiation room, I guess, eh? so no, good conversation. Um, Let's transition here bit more specifically about your projects, not just kind of a general overview of royalty codes. So, you know, tier one jurisdictions, lots in Canada, you got, you know, a handful in Australia and USA, one in Norway, I think, right? And then you yeah. have one in Madagascar, which maybe, you know, obviously I know that Madagascar is resource rich in many ways, but maybe not what people consider tier one. Do you just want to discuss what drew you there? What what, the, what project is there and why, why it was so critical for you to, to tag in there?
1: Yeah, so again, it was a little bit of opportunistic. Um, you know, that was an all shares deal that we did with Fox Royalties. You know, we like graphite because it has the potential to come back into production really quickly, um, and so we wanted to add another producing royalty. We already have a pretty good graphite portfolio, but it kind of helped us uh, round that out. Uh, but it was opportunistic, you know, because we had a, an opportunity to do that with Fox, um, and because it had that kind of prospect of near term cash flow. Madagascar is a kind of a special place, though, for graphite. I would say. Um, you know, Mick Davis has put a significant amount of money, uh, down there with his, uh, vision blue fund. Um, but you know, there's a couple places on the planet for each of these metals where you're going to have that kind of, you know, uh, the DRC for cobalt is kind of a special place. I'm um, not saying Madagascar is to that, you know, for graphite, but, um, you know, Indonesia for nickel and, 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 uh, you know, Tasmania for tin, you know, up in Cornwall UK. Uh, so sometimes we're going to have to just kind of go where, you know, where the projects are, where the metals are. Uh, but, uh. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a good place to be for graphite. You know, that mine already operated for 30 months conti- or 20 months continuously. They had all of their product qualified as off takers. And that's a huge extra step mm-hmm. uh, that you have to take in the graphite space. that you, you don't really haven't seen before. Um, we have such a long production run to go get your product qualified. So, I mean, they're ready. Uh, they could put that back in production. They need to kind of focus up and raise some money, uh, to do it. But, um, you know, everything's ready to go there. And, uh, uh, so it could be a, a, a quick turnaround, you know, to cash flow, even as early as this year.
0: Hmm. So I, have to, I I can't help but ask the question. So, you know, I, you know, I'm a tier one guy, too, for jurisdiction. I think that, yeah. that exploration and development is risky enough without adding in political chaos, right? Uh, but so maybe, I mean, what is, are there are there no goal lines? DRC, right, for Cobalt, is that something that you with the right team would follow in there? Or is that just something where you risk' you'll, you'll tip your hat and leave it for, for somebody else?
1: Yeah, we've had a few groups come to us. Uh, I mean, I would say they haven't been the right teams, <laughs> you know, necessarily. But, yeah. um, you know, typically, I mean, when I started my career uh, and I was in London, we had uh, a lot of clients in Africa, you know, largely, I think, partially because the time zone uh, makes it easy. And, uh, you know, we had clients whose camps got stormed by rebels and all that. So, you know, t- traditionally, I mean, yeah, mining's just basically not. Uh, why, why, you know, go there if that's going to happen on any given day? I mean, it just makes it almost impossible. Um, and you know, that's the last part of it. The other part is I really do think there's going to be a need to have a domestic source supply, uh, mm-hmm. for all of these metals. And when you look at that, like, uh, the tin asset that we bought, not our most recent one, but that's a great example. It's the largest and only tin producer in all of Europe. Right. <laughs> Crazy as that sounds. Um, but we bought one in the United States and the United States hasn't produced tin since 1980. Uh, this is the best, most advanced project in the U S but it's still seven or eight years from, you know, from getting into production probably. So. Uh, you know, I think but I do think there's gonna be a need to have that uh source of, of these metals at home for a couple of reasons. The security of supply, China, Russia, all that stuff, you know, obviously uh, very topical. People are already talking about that. The other part is, you know, if the whole point of this is to decarbonize the global economy, um it doesn't make sense to be shipping, you know, or from halfway across the world to get to your plant that's being built in North America. Yeah. <laughs> but what are do we doing then? <laughs> you know, so uh, that's a very practical point, I think, um, and I do think that we're going to see that. I do think we're seeing that discussion, uh, and uh, you know, start to take uh, bolder form.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, this is an area where you and I are kind of in lockstep. I think that this idea of the, the regionalization or the deglobalization of these things is, is underway, and, and maybe it might take a little bit longer than we anticipate, but I think that that's a sort of trend that is almost inescapable for the reasons you described, right? From geopolitical risk and also just from a pure kind of like car, tons of carbon produced for a, for a project thing as well, right? So, no, you're situating yourself and positioning yourself in a, in a pretty advantageous moment in this in, the, in time and sector. So um, We also have good mining.
1: Codes too in those jurisdictions, so uh, you know there's uh, there's a lot of good framework to work in, and it means you know, like I said, we can attach our royalty to the land. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits but um, but yeah definitely I, I think we're in agreement on that
0: one yeah for sure uh, so I want to talk about your projects that are you know producing revenue but I'm gonna just set those aside for a second and ask you just you know opportunity to brag a bit do you just want to walk us through a couple of your flagship projects you know maybe take this with the reason take this the route that you want to maybe it's the one that's that's coming up to production next maybe it's just the one that you're the most excited about most recent one but do you just want to kind of brag about a couple of your flagships
1: yeah, well, uh, I, honestly, I, I love a lot of our royalties that we have. Mm-hmm. I mean, we individually plan and pick those out. So uh, almost every asset in our portfolio, I, I, I feel like I could talk about for quite a yeah. while. <laughs> um, you know, look, I mean, we've had a lot of good news, right? So we've got 21. We talked about our two producing ones. I think our third producing one, OJ, uh, or two become producing. Uh, OJ would be a, a fantastic one. I mean, um, they are fully funded. The company, the operator is about a $2 billion market cap. When we bought that royalty, they're about a $6 million market cap. So we, we bought that way ahead of mm. everybody. You know, spotty min prices are about 400 a ton. Now they're over 5000 um, But that's going to be the largest producing lithium mine in Canada um, this year. And uh, they're targeting production this quarter. And so that's going to be significant. You know, with mm. lithium prices that high, that's going to be very good for us. Um, so we're very excited about that one. We also have a uh, Seymour Lake. Um, it's another lithium royalty in Ontario. Now, we bought that around the same time as we bought uh, – uh Oche a little bit a year later and uh they've just raised 70 million dollars um you right. know they've been moving that so fast they doubled the resource they've uh brought in Lithium americas to fast track seem related to production um they're getting ready to do a bulk sample and if they have that expedited timeline i mean you could see that making the production um uh, you know much quicker than than traditionally and the royalty that we have on that one is three times as big as the one we have on OJ. so we're excited about ocean yeah. we're really excited <laughs> about that one that would be game changing um, yeah, you know, we did already talk about Battery Hill, so I won't bring that up. Uh, one of our ones, that was a little bit actually farther down the depth chart. It was just recently had a, uh, some great news. They've got a new partner. It's that ran Nickel Mine, past producing Nickel Mine in Norway. Uh, new partner is coming in, committing $15 million to that project. It hasn't seen modern exploration since it shut down back in 2003. Um, and they still had about a $10 million resource there. I'm really excited for this. I think that one could be another great candidate with a little bit of exploration success. Uh, to come back in production. It's got a lot of the infrastructure, all your port access. Um, and so we're excited about that one. Zonia, another great uh, project. I picked that one out. You know, personally, I'm, I might get in trouble for saying this. I thought this is going to be one of the next three projects, uh, copper projects to get developed in North America. You know, it's, it's not huge. It's going to produce about 50 million pounds a year. Um, our funding and the funding from our option funding will get them through a the feasibility study within two years. Uh, but it's a simple project, copper oxide development project right at surface. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's got lots of drill holes, so pretty well-known resource, uh, fairly simple too. Um, and so, so we like that one. We're excited to see that move ahead. Um, man, we've got so many, I mean, it's tough. <laughs> My associate, uh, fantastic iron ore development project partnered with Glencore. Uh, we have a royalty on the Vanadium byproduct credit. It's probably the best iron ore development project in North America. Um, and I've worked on quite with quite a few of them. So I have a sense of that. Um, but that was, that was exciting. I mean, they had a 38 year mine life off their whole resource. Uh, the most recent PA just off measured indicated was about 21 years, uh, but a fantastic project. Glencore came in way earlier than I've seen them do on on Iron Ore before. Um, you know, we, anyway, there's a lot of them. We got a lot of good ones. I mean, do you want me to keep going? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, good on you. I like it. I, I appreciate the enthusiasm. I kind of realized when I asked you, tell me your flagship. Well, all 21 are going to be your flagship, right? So that's that's a fair fair point. Yeah, maybe let's let's end with this. Then maybe like, what's the Based on current metals prices, and you know, and not not predicting higher or lower pricing, but just based on today's pricing, which one of these twenty one has the opportunity to provide you the, the, with the biggest revenue? And what's that what's that number right now off the top of your head?
1: Uh, yeah, I wish <laughs> I could tell you that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right now, right now, it'd be lithium for sure. Yeah. Uh, as a commodity, lithium would be would be the top one. Um, so, we're, yeah, we're heavily on lithium. And that's partially to do with the fact that lithium prices have gone up so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we bought those royalties, we like I said, the lithium prices were less than a tenth of where they were today. So, uh, so revenues that we expect now have gone up tenfold. That's made a huge impact, mm-hmm. um, you know, to our expected lithium revenues. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, but all the rest of them make up a pretty good mix. I'd say we're, you know, fairly well diversified in terms of our expected cash flows. Um, and that's really the goal. Uh, so, we have upside to all these different price swings. I think... I think a lot of these commodities are going to have the same price swing upside, um, you know, throughout this cycle that, that lithium has gone through. Um, not that lithium's done, not that it won't go down and come back again, but uh, I, I think a lot of these metals have the same upside potential. Copper, I think, is a really easy one to see, a, you know, more modest kind of uh, increase in price over the next couple of years. Um, but we need a lot more copper. Tin is my favorite, mm-hmm. though. In terms of the supply-demand fundamentals, I just don't know. Uh, I don't know how we're going to find enough tin, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna, it's going to be good. The world, I don't know. You know, there's not that many people out there paying attention to this on the supply side. Um, everything seems to have come down from, like, the demand-driven side where, you know, we need this. We're going to build the factories. And they have. They're already building the factories, right? Mm-hmm. Factories take, like, two, three years to build. The mine is going to take seven or eight to maybe ten. So, like, it's really kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, poor planning <laughs> in terms of timing-wise. But if you're invested in these metals and, and your revenues are... Uh, proportional to metal prices. I think metal prices are going to be very, very strong um, across the board as we you know move forward
0: here. Mm-hmm. And again, I kind of, you know, as I you know, was doing my research for this interview and seeing, again, like you say, the commodities that you mentioned, tin, zinc, graphite, these are all things that I've circled myself, kind of put it up on the board as saying that these are going to be chronically chronically underdeveloped, under, un, underfunded in terms of exploration, and there's going to be a supply crunch, right? And yeah, I mean, and that's just, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you can't turn the Titanic in, in a day, right? I mean, this is going to take years and years of, of redevelopment to get these things back up in the air, right? So, no, again, I think it's, it's, it's prudent on your part in terms of where you've gone with your money? So,
1: well, again, you know, because <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all in, and my family's all in. We're, we're very careful about how we uh, spend our capital, and um, you know, we're excited. I mean, we have lots of cows; that are going to come this year at no cost to us. That's all you know already baked into our portfolio. And I'd say that we have one of the largest deal pipelines out there um, as well. And so, uh, you know, we're not going to be just sitting here on our hands. I definitely think we'll be adding some more royalties. Um, you know, maybe even before you get this out uh, now, I, I who knows? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we've already got 21 properties. We've only been it for a couple of years, so we'll definitely keep adding some more as we move along.
0: No, exciting. So what, let's talk about, I mean, here's an analogy for you, right, that you are, you have just nicely transitioned into a revenue model. So you're that, you know you're the first couple of years of mine life or you're not running at peak capacity yet, but you've got some revenue. It's kinda of nice to see proof of concept going here. So you do have two if I'm not mistaken, and you said a third kind of in the works or three or four that are right off the bat coming up n- right nearby. But you've got the Middle Tennessee zinc mine and the Panuda tin T- tantalum mine, which you mentioned and this is in Spain. Do you mind just do you want to run through those projects maybe a little bit? And then I mean if you can, I know that I think my understanding is Middle Tennessee is private, so maybe you can't give us as much details on that. But I mean Maybe explain to us what you might, what we might anticipate from those two project, from those two deals, deals as well. Pardon me.
1: Yeah. So uh, the Middle Tennessee Zinc Mine. We start with that one. Um, it is private, but it's probably owned by Era, uh, which is a massive group. I think they had uh, over 200 billion in revenues. It could be much higher than that last hmm. year. So they're very well funded. They took over from uh, Nearstar. Star. Um, ultimately, you know, they kind of took over Nearstar and they they acquired that. Uh, but they came in a couple years ago, so we're excited because they actually have some money to spend. Uh, you know, traditionally they've gone in and uh, upgraded and looked to boost capacity at their mines. So, um, you know, they don't share everything with us, but that's what we're expecting, and that's kind of what we've you know heard and seen so far. Uh, really, we just expect that to keep producing. You know, it's been producing for intermittently over fifty years. Already spit out about two billion pounds of zinc, and uh, the concentrate there is actually really, really clean. So it's really integral to the Clarksville smelter. Which is right next door, and that uh, smelter is the only primary zinc producer in the entire United States. Um, which sounds crazy, uh, but the, uh, the the concentrate from the Middle Tennessee zinc mine really helps them take a lot of other ores uh, and blend them because it's so clean. Um, so it's kind of got some other things going for it as well. Uh, but really, uh, we just kind of expect that to keep chugging along and, and you know making money. Uh, I think zinc prices are going to go up. Um, the zinc supply side is also very weak. There's a handful of development projects out there globally. Um, that I would I would like to get involved with. Uh, and so, yeah, I think um, that one we just expect to keep kind of paying out. We have an option to double our royalty interest. That comes up in August of this year. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that comes along. But, um, yeah, really exciting royalty. Great operator, great jurisdiction, um, long operating history. And, and, you know, we expect uh, producing for a long time to come. Panuda. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah the, the largest and only tin producer, tin and tan producer in all of Europe. Uh, which is crazy because you think about all the money that's been going around this space yeah. and to think that, you know, we're, we're coming to the table with $1 million for so the only guys actually producing this stuff in Europe. Uh, just is funny to me a, a little bit. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fantastic operating team, like I mentioned. Um, you know, this uh, has been mined. This area has been mined since the Roman times. Um, and, you know, it's, it's pretty easy. I mean, it's an industrial mine, mining project, a little bit different. There's multiple revenue streams. So they have tin, they have tantalum. Uh, the money that we just gave them is going to help them uh, look at exporting uh, high-grade feldspar, uh, hmm. importing within the country. Um, and uh, they also have some rare risk potential there as well. Uh, everything they dig is basically a war, uh, you know, which is pretty cool. That was the, that was the overriding thing when we sent our, our uh, guy over. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we like that. Look, um, they're producing at a pretty good rate right now. They keep steadily ramping up production. But they have an opportunity to uh, double that plant capacity um, and it would cost them about 10, 12 million bucks. And I expect they'd come to that, you know, in the next kind of 12 to 24 months. So, you know, we bought that royalty, we paid a million dollars, you know, tin prices are down already 50% from uh, their peak last year. Uh, so we see, you know, 50% upside, tin prices going up easy. We see, you know, essentially hundred percent upside in our cash flows if they do pursue that plant expansion. Um, so we see a catalyst coming that could meaningfully, um you know increase our cash flow we actually also have an option on that on that project uh where we can basically double down on our royalty interest as well and we have the next six months to decide on that too um so yeah so we have options to actually boost our revenues just off of producing royalties um and we expect some some good news to come out specifically on the the side for sure
0: Hmm. Exciting. Um, so maybe I'll ask you this. So base case, right? Not expanded production, not expanding your actual royalty percentage, but just base case. Can you give us a number? And then, so I know that to tell me if I'm wrong, Tennessee zinc, this was done last fall and Panuda was done just in January, I think. Um, but so I mean, you, I don't, you, have, you don't have super firm long-term numbers, but can you give us an annualized revenue rate on those?
1: Yeah. And, and the numbers on our, uh, middle Tennessee royalty can be a bit fuzzy because we have that, uh, via JV partnership with Sprott. Part of the requirement okay. brought in, they bought they put up the 13.5 million cash that we needed. Uh, and so we're actually at JV ownership. Some so sometimes the, the funds in terms of when they get reported and stuff, but it's about half a million bucks a year is what we're expecting okay. uh, from the MTM royalty. Uh, so we're to double down on that, that'd be a million a year. Um, and uh, for the Penuda one, you know, just kind of base case off their revenues, really over the last tw- uh, 12 months, you know, we're looking at kind of 150 to 200,000 a year. Um, and that's, you know, before they add in some of these other revenue streams before they, uh, you know, if they look at plant expansion, um, and not taking into account metal prices. So, um, I think all the upside is still on the table there.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is. Yeah. You're just, you're, you're one of, you're one of your mine production here, right? So yeah, you're just uh, getting, and they,
1: and they got a mining license for the next 30 years, renewable <laughs> up to 75. So, um, you know, that's the thing on, right? You buy these royalties, it might have a 10 year mine life and it'll still be paying you potentially 20, 30 years down the road.
0: Yeah. Not a bad gig, eh? Not a bad gig at all. Um, so why, why don't this is kind of a curious question, you know? So once you, you've given your, you've made the deal, are, how inv- are you involved at all in the operations of any of these companies, or is it pretty hands off after the deal is made?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, the nice thing is, is that we don't have to be hands on, right? So there's probably a, a 500 people uh, employed working on our projects. Um, you know, many management teams, a lot of managerial hours going into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we don't have to get involved with that. We typically don't like to get involved with the day to day, but we are partners, right? At the end of the day, I look at all the deals we've done as partnerships. I think you know, at the end of the day, we're only going to make money if they get into production, so we're very incentivized uh, to help them, you know, along that path. So, you know, I think we make introductions. You know, we offer advice. You know, we uh, I'm happy to you know offer um, some suggestions if for M and A activity as well. Um, and so, yeah, we we try and you know help out where we can. Uh, but mostly with you know advice on financing or or things of that nature, maybe there's things that we've seen uh because we've looked at other uh companies in their space so we we just try and help out as much as we can but in terms of the day to day or the actual um you know having to having to do that stuff uh you know thankfully that that's not our our job mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And then one final question here Then maybe I'll just transition and do some more traditional questions just around your company and your personal history and such. But so, yeah, you, again, you're just nicely getting started on the revenue side of things, which again is nice because it starts to give people these hard numbers and we can start looking at forecasting and such, right? But I mean, so how long, you know, in your eyes, let's say not best case or worst case P50, right? How long till electric, how long till electric starts to kind of hit its stride in terms of revenue? How many years out are you guys?
1: Yeah, I'd say, you know, in that three to five year range, that would be like, if we could wait, and just sit here for three to five years, that could maybe be the best thing that ever happened. You know, <laughs> you know like, I, I don't think we'll make it that long. I think someone will try and, you know, buy us out opportunistically, especially, you know, these valuations, but, you know, three to five years, because five years is kind of the range where a lot of our big development projects will start making it in. Um, and so then you're talking about a huge jump up, you know, in terms of cash flows. Um, but really, you know, over the next couple of years, we've got a couple more the cannet production. I think we're going to be very busy, you know, continuing adding new producing royalties, trying to you know supplement that part. Um, but three to five years, I think, is the window. I think that's where metal prices are going to be, you know, very, very good. Mm-hmm. I think uh, our number of royalties in production, you know, we have like eight or nine of them that that could make it in that time frame. Um, and so, you know, it's going to be exciting. But that's again, we don't have to do anything for that all come true, right? So. Uh, that's all we've already put the work in we've already bought those royalties. They're, they're going to do that for us, um, you know, on their own. And it's up to us to, to keep kind of adding to it.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, this is a, a point you've made and a point that maybe I'll make again is that, you know, it's, it's 30 year, my life here, right. That, that, you know, a million bucks a year, but then you have a 30 years of it. And then you've got 20 of those on the go and you can start to see how things start to get, very uh, prosperous, shall we say, for electric in a hurry, right? So you no, know, the royalty, the royalty, it, it makes sense in a lot of ways, right? Um, let's just transition here then. Just there's just kind of a handful of questions here. I just thought I'd ask just about maybe the kind of current state of affairs of your of your company on a more kind of day to day level. But maybe let's just start with you, if you don't mind. I mean, do you want to discuss you know your own personal career history and how you ended up here? I mean, what's you know, what what path with ended up with you in the chair at Electric?
1: What path? Yeah, uh, not a path I would have taken you know, at the outset if I could have seen you know, ten years down the road. <laughs> um, I, I joined the mining sector back in 2012. I, I joined Denver Financial in London, um, so they're probably one of the top project financing advisory groups out there. There's, there's really not that many teams out there that, that do that, um, and they're basically the top ones. And, and I worked with them. And when I got there, you know, they had about eight billion in planned gold debt financings. You know, I was like, wow, this is going to be good. Everyone's talking bonuses. <laughs> You know, two months into to working there, gold goes from two
0: thousand,
1: you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, none of that made sense. I was like, "Oh man, this this sucks!" <laughs> like, uh, you know. And so it was it was really tough at the beginning. You know, that was a tough year. Um, the, that group actually split in half. You know, after after my first year, came back on a job in uh, Vancouver with a group called King of Bay West, and they had a bunch of different groups, um, you know, mining companies in house, so copper, coal, stuff like that. And uh, as soon as I got there, they had about fifty people. Um, and they were really, like I said, heavy, copper, coal, that, those kind of groups, um, copper, coal, everything knows. dive. You know? So uh, as soon as I got there, they, they went from about 45 people to 10 people, uh, over the course of my time there. And so I was kind of uh, forced to be out on my own, um, you know, a lot sooner than I would have, I would have liked. Uh, but a couple of weeks after that, I had, you know, my own advisory group set up and I had my first two clients and, uh, it was funny. And you know, I was probably 26 years old and I had I mean, the average age on my board that i was advising was about 82 you know <laughs> so uh so, so that's kind of and that was like one of my very first couple of clients right so i just uh i always made sure to find mentors and and uh you know, worked end up working with most of the mining i was in vancouver uh worked with dozens of different clients on my own just you know really helping them out mostly best efforts basis at least when i got started um but really this is like the exact same thing except now i'm going to these groups and saying hey look Rather than pitch you on, I'm gonna take you around and get you some royalty financing. I'm, I'm the guy, <laughs> you know? So in terms of actually putting deals together, it's, it's uh, you know great experience for that. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's, I guess the last stop I had before this was really um, while working at that small gold mine, uh, as they put that in production. And just to see the number of risks and things that happen mm. during that process, you know, on what was supposed to be the most simple technical project of all time, all time, you know, uh, going into that. Uh, I was just like, man, we gotta do something different. Um, you know, I, I can't vouch to anybody, you know, that this is gonna work for sure, right? You know, because it's a single asset and so many things can go wrong and you know, even at the most de-risk stages. So it was really about like either I'm getting out of the mining sector or we're gonna we gotta figure out something else. Um, and you know, something that I'd actually be comfortable pitching our my family to invest in. Hmm. And so that's when I you know decided to start electric royalties and yeah, really two sides. One is the royalty side. That being a, a big part of the model, um, you know, reduced risk, all the extra, you know, upsides of it, um, and then being the clean energy metal space, you know, where you've got this incredible growth profile. I mean, I think the biggest average price increase in gold on an annual basis, is like twenty five percent, and we're we're blowing that away across the board, you know, with uh, with lithium and mm-hmm. uh, you know tin at one point last year. I think at one point last year, all of the metals in our that we target were up ninety to one hundred percent.
0: Not bad. Not bad. So again, fairly typical kind of bullet-pick question here, but do you mind telling me insider ownership and then maybe you know institutional high net worth? I mean, how, how does it break down? I guess.
1: Uh, yeah. So we've got uh, very little institutional ownership right now because, quite frankly, it's very tough to get them in when you're a sub fifty million dollar company. I mean, uh, you know, those groups don't like to invest when they mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know too small. It's a little bit of liquid, uh, but really a five million dollar check size where they can put five million bucks in and not over 9.9%. So uh, we're, we're working on it once we get over that. We do have a few uh, institutional shareholders. I'd say they make up about 5 seven to 7.5%. Uh, myself and my family, uh, we're about 14%, uh, give or take. And then we've got Stefan Gleason, who's a fantastic individual shareholder. He's really built up his whole position over the last kind of year and a half. Um, and so he owns about 17.5%. And then we have Globex uh, Mining Enterprises. They have about... Uh, They're our very first partner. Uh, we've done a couple deals with them, and they own about uh, 13 14% as well. Um, and so you have a pretty big block of the company you know, tied mm-hmm. up amongst a pretty tight group of people. Uh, from there, it's really high-network individuals. Uh, I would say we've got a lot of those that make up kind of 15 20%, um, and then retail from there.
0: Good enough. So – Part of your deals that you make are there is you know it's it's I, I think that you can argue pretty convincingly that it is accretive, but you know it remains dilution. Some of your deals, there's there's a share aspect to that, right? Could you, I guess, how is that is that standard for all your deals across the board? Is that something you bring with you because you are you know a smaller project and this is how you can kind of make these deals happen? And then I get, well, I'll stop there. Is that is that a, is that a standard offer for you guys? Is is share 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 base?
1: Well, uh, you know, part of it is we've only raised like around $10 million to date, right? Mm-hmm. To fund all of this. Mm-hmm. If I can tell you what the, the MVP is in my mind and how much we've done, they'd be really surprised. But, um, you know, so we've had to use it. I think there's a couple benefits to it. One is there's certain deals you won't be able to get done without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, you're not able to really offer them what they want at that point in time. But if you're offering a continued upside and that same kind of participation in a portfolio of royalties, Um, you know, a lot of groups are buying into that. And so quite frankly, it might be the only way for us to get a deal done is they want that ownership. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also helps in terms of us getting a better deal too, because, you know, you can make the argument like, Hey, our share should be valued at this. So it helps you kind of, you know, build up a little bit of, uh, you know, find some middle ground, right. Where it actually works for both parties. Um, and you know, a lot of it has been just kind of opportunistic as well. Like, you know, we haven't raised that much cash. We didn't have much cash. If we get away with shares sometimes, uh, we did, especially at the beginning. Um, that came back and haunted us a little, a little bit. I think that's partially why our valuation got kicked in the teeth so much this last year. Uh, but we are, by, by large, through all the all the shares that we had given out, uh, we don't have any big blocks coming. Um, and so that should, shouldn't be a problem. Uh, you know, we're, we're much more careful now, I'd say, about... Which groups exactly we do that with, hmm. uh, and kind of what their long term plans are, uh, but we also put in things to the deal where it's you know we lock up uh, a certain portion of their shares for six months, for twelve months, for eighteen months, um, you know, so we don't have a lot hitting us all at once anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. And then similar question here, just on the on the float side of things, and this is rough numbers. Correct me if I am way off, but it's about ninety million shares and about twenty million in 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 warrants and options. Is that about roughly correct? Yeah, it's about right. And then, could you just run through then so that overhang? You know, we don't need to beat it to death, but I mean, how how much lo- how much is left on the warrants? What are they priced at?
1: Yeah, so uh, there's a good chunk of those that are priced actually at uh, sixty cents. That was part of our um, MTM royalty acquisition. Those are owned by Globex. Mm-hmm. so those are uh, I'd say not an overhang, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have some warrants uh, from our uh, last financing, the three and a half million financing. So I think it was about ten million out, and those are at um, I think they're
0: about forty-five cents. Okay, so yeah, not bad at all. Yeah, in terms of uh, potential kind of lids on the price if things start to fly, right? So nope, good, 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 good. Then last one. I mean, you talked about GNAs about a million and a half bucks a year. I think you said uh, cash on hand.
1: Yeah, we're uh, between a million and a million and a half. You know, well, we just we just closed that deal. We had about a million and a half. Um, it was a, a little bit more expensive deal because it's in Spain, legal due diligence and all that. So uh, we're probably down to, you know, about 1.2, you know, in and around that range.
0: Okay. And then, so why don't we, I mean, we're nearing the end of it here. Just a couple of questions left. I mean, you kind of touched on Panuda being a potential exciting next few, next short while here. But do you want to run through just uh, 2023? What are some catalysts, you know, 0, 6, 12, 18 months kind of thing? What, are, what, what does the market have to look forward to from electric?
1: Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> look, I think there's lots of stuff that's going to gonna come out. You know, we don't know uh, necessarily everything ahead of time either, uh, but, you know, like we just had $15 million committed to our random nickel project. That came out of nowhere. Uh, really, I think the big one is going to be Oche uh, coming into production. They are targeting this quarter, um, and that would, be, that would be a big one for us. So let's see in cash flow. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of catalysts. You know, we have our battery hills moving towards PFS. I think that's going to be a critical stage. Once they get to that, that's the time they can bring in a partner um you know most of the partners want to see that kind of level um you know I think we've got uh, Zonia there should be some exciting news coming out as well hopefully uh, as they move you know towards feasibility study um our associate project with Glencore I believe they're targeting to get the a feasibility study done um you know by this year or early next so that'll be exciting to watch uh, Seymour Lake I think will be really exciting to watch hmm. um they're like they're they're full on you know, full power ahead on that one uh, they've got the right partner, um, you know. So it'll be very exciting to watch that. Like they just doubled the resource, you know, in the last couple of months. They're doing the bulk sample. Mm. Lots of money going into it. Um, random, like I said, that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, but uh, you know, lots of good stuff, honestly, across our entire portfolio. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun year. We had, I think, over 80 updates last year um, across 14 assets, 15 assets. So there's not mm. many assets in our portfolio where. Uh, these are just sitting there, expiration, moose bash or anything. Yeah, these, are, <laughs> these are projects you know, that we, we picked out, we really like, um, and they're getting money.
0: You sound like you like your projects.
1: Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to pick them, Sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I
0: <did>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, good on you. Uh, so I guess last call then, I mean, is, is there something that I missed that you'd like to talk about? I just thought I'd give you a final word here to you, Brendan.
1: Well, look, I mean, if, if uh, people are looking to invest, I mean, now would be the time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think, uh, ultimately, evaluation... Um, is, is grossly undervalued, uh, and I like I, I wish I could tell you exactly how much, but it's not even it's not even a comparison. I think we're very safe, you know, from a, a risk perspective. We're diversified across 21 assets and nine clean energy metals. Those are in good jurisdictions and on metals with double-digit growth rates expected over the next couple of decades. Um, and you know, these are really the top tier uh, assets in North America, Europe, Australia, uh, for these metals. So if they're looking for a stable source supply, they're going to be putting our projects into production. Um, and that's all at no cost to us, and, and just kind of sit back and wait. We're a long-term hold, um, and eventually some group's going to come in and yeah, take us over probably probably too soon, but uh, you know, shareholders are going to get that pumped in as well.
0: <laughs> just be patient and let your money grow, away. Eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's it. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you for listening. If you want more information on Brendan's company, head over to electricroyalties.com. Lots of good information there. As for me, Junior Resource Investing on Spotify, YouTube, and elsewhere. Brendan, thank you for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Matt. All
0: right. Have a good day.